welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Hello, friends. Welcome back to The Knowing. We are going to jump right in, right back into uh, the process that uh, is currently unfolding in these episodes. This is episode three of our exploration of the journey into soul, of the process of uh, being initiated into spiritual maturity, into an, a truly adult version of yourself as a human being, of ourselves. I think we're all going through this. And so in support of this journey, but also in order to actually facilitate it, Today's practice uh, and focus is gratitude. So we left off last time with uh, a discussion on compassion and blessing as primary tools that we have to practice in order to be able to uh, both respond to the circumstances of our life and what happens to us and and with us and for us in this experience. Um, But also, I guess I wanted to start today by exploring these tools, not just as tools of response, tools that we use in order to engage with life, but also tools um, in a sense of conditioning, tools that we practice or we want to practice, not just when something goes wrong or when we are moving out into the world, But they are very conscious and and deliberate ways of utilizing our mind that fundamentally shift the way that we perceive reality, the way we interact with ourselves, other people, the the entire world and existence. Um, And if we don't practice them, I am absolutely certain that our minds are susceptible to utilizing what I would call, and with no judgment, but lower sort of neurobiological and and neurological pathways within our our cognitive makeup that um, are available to all of us and and that we may utilize, and we'll get into this so it's not super vague, but we may utilize, you know, frequently and and understandably in our lives, but, but that really do not have a positive or beneficial impact on us in terms of how they, um, how they, how they teach us to be in the world, and how they teach us to think about ourselves and other people. Okay, and um, I, I wish I use my hands when I'm talking. You guys, I wish you could see me right now. I'm sitting in a room waving my hands madly, like there's somebody to see me doing this. But um, I want you to imagine that there's sort of three levels of potential responses, potential ways of using our mind. And this is a gross oversimplification, but um, three levels at which human beings can really um, engage with life, you know, the, the, and, and use our brains, okay? And this uh, correlates and corresponds to this concept in, in biology of what's called the triune brain, okay? This idea that our brain is actually made of um, three sections, if you will, that are actually layered, built one on top of the next. And they, our our brains rather magnificently contain within them kind of the history of evolution on the planet. When I found this out as a biologist, I was like, mind blown, like it's so cool that we have this, this sort of lower structure, super important. And please, you know, mind my language that it, it is not a judgment in terms of of quality or um, necessity to say lower, but 
um, lower in terms of more ancient, uh, the, that is called the, the reptilian brain. Okay? And this, this is the back rear part of our brain that connects with the brainstem. And this has to do, or it, the, the mechanisms that it, it works with and, and uh, regulates have to do with very unconscious autonomic processes within our system, like breathing and temperature and, and, and respiration and whatnot, right? And they call this the reptile brain because this is the type of brain that reptiles have. Okay, they they do not have emotional capacities or self-reflective uh, thought or anything similar to that in terms of of the way they relate to reality. Okay, they are very instinctual beings, and this part of our brain really manages our instinctual reactions and responses to life. Right. Um, and this is good. It's important. It's the part of your brain that if you put your hand on a hot stove, you will pull your hand away because it hurts, right? That's your reptilian brain in action, okay? So that's level one of the triune brain. On top of that is built the mammalian or the limbic system, which is really where our uh, emotional self emerges from. The limbic system is composed of many structures, but it includes the amygdala, which you most likely have heard of, which is very much involved with um, kind of an internal alarm system uh, for signaling, telling us when stress is, is in the world, okay? Um, this is connected to our hippocampus, which is is responsible for memory, consolidation, and, and working through um, mostly, I think, short-term memory, but don't quote me on that. And then, you know, there's other structures that are all part of this, okay? So the mammalian brain is called that because this brain uh, is, is what mammals, other mammals in the world have. They have the reptilian brain and the mammalian brain because evolution is actually quite conservative. If something is working, we keep it and we build upon it over time, right? Mammals emerged and evolved on the planet much later than reptiles did, and they, they kept the reptile brain and then added to it, okay? So... Just like, you know, you can see in your dog or your cat, they can love you, they can express emotion, they uh, bond with their offspring, you know, they exhibit these tendencies, they have memory um, that that we associate with mammalian-like beings, okay? And then we have, built on top of that, the neocortex, okay? And this is um, something that really makes us human, although there are other uh, primate species and dolphins and, and some other mammals that have this neocortex structure. And But this is where um, self-reflection, self-awareness comes from, um, the ability to really consolidate and think in terms of past and future, uh, to consolidate our experience and, and really plan and reflect and stuff. This is all part of the functionality of the neocortex, okay? Please forgive me because this is high, super, super simple. I'm not really going to get deep into this. But I wanted to offer kind of a, a correlated, layered experience in terms of um, how our brain will operate or how we will utilize our, the functions of our brain in a similar kind of tiered uh, experience and process in our life. And, and that really, as you can probably imagine, we want to get to the highest tier possible. We want to get to the highest human capacities, utilizing the highest expression of our neocortex abilities. Um, and that's what initiation is really about, is, is moving us into that higher higher state, if you will. Okay, And again, higher, lower, these are relative terms that are not about 
um, uh, worth, I suppose, because all of these parts of our being and the way we engage with life are super, super important. We don't want to get rid of them. It's just asking ourselves, which part are we really relying on? Okay. So imagine that you are living from your reptilian brain. If if we had none, no, none of the other structures, you know, the, the later evolutionary structures on top of that reptilian brain functioning, and we were just reptiles, right? You would, um, eat everything, maybe. You would just run around being entirely reactionary, right? Fighting, uh, attacking things, or trying to have sex with everything that came across your path. Like, I'm, have, I'm having my own internal joke as I'm imagining human beings being this way. Um, we have the capacity to be this way when we get extraordinarily stressed. You know, we become quite violent. We we react, we lash out, or we hurt ourselves, right? Um you know, certainly there's other aspects of our, our cognition that's involved in, in self-harm. But that that reactionary part of our being, again, is very important, but we, we don't want to live there, right? Otherwise, we're just, we're just reacting constantly, right? Um, similarly, you know, if we think about the functionality of the limbic mammalian brain, the second structure built on top, and what emerges out of that... This is where I would argue uh, most of us are operating from most of the time, it, from a very highly emotional state, um, a, a highly uh, charged kind of life experience that utilizes certain, uh, what I call this, certain um, mechanisms almost, like cognitive mechanisms to engage with life that give us short-term pleasure and really not very positive long-term outcomes, okay? And, and I'll break this down, you know, so you can really understand and hopefully reflect on this in your own life, okay? We have sort of a, a spectrum of emotional and cognitive experiences that are very old. They're they're very ancient in terms of uh, when they evolved within the human brain, um, and and the survival benefit that they conveyed to us long, long ago when we were living in small tribes, and um, you know living in relative uncertainty and vulnerability within our natural environment as we did for millions of years. And in our brain, you know, I think the field of, of evolutionary psychology is so interesting to really think about the roots of these behavioral mechanisms and cognitive um, processes, you know, to say, why do we do these things, right? It's, it's because they conveyed a benefit to us at some point in our life, um, you know, actually during the, the history of an individual's life, life, not just in the long, deep history of, of human uh, civilization, but even within a human's life. And I'll get into this in a second. Um, but when you think about our ancestors living in, in small groups, okay, uh, it said that shame, like this this feeling of like, oh, God, I'm, I'm kind of a bad person. I can't believe I did that. Or, or I, the, the recognition that we have done something wrong, right, is, is said to be one of the earliest emotional experiences that actually evolved in our psyches because it kept us uh, in the group, right? When you feel shame for something stupid you've done or something harmful or something thoughtless, then you are less likely to do it again and thus probably remain a liked member of your society or your tribe. 
And you are most more likely to probably make amends and repair relationships if you've done something <laughs> silly. And so the shame actually served a, a really important part within our close uh, social systems to keep us from being excommunicated, right? Which was a death sentence. If you are not part of the tribe in our, our ancestors' history, you're dead. Like you, humans can't live on their own or they couldn't way back then, certainly, right? And so these emotions evolve to keep us safe and, and they work, right? They, they In small groups, they're really, really, really beneficial. Same with, um, to go back to this idea that over an individual's lifetime, when we are younger, those emotions, you know, of, of not pissing people off, right, our parents off or not acting out and stuff are actually really beneficial because we, for better or worse, we need our parents and our civilization to like us in order to survive because uh, we can't take care of ourselves when we're children and we, we have to rely upon other people in order to have safety and, and security. So these emotions are highly beneficial extraordinarily necessary during the childhood and adolescent, early adolescent phase of human existence. And these old adaptive emotional experiences and states like shame, um, blame, there's, there's quite a few of them, right? Uh, things like complaining, judgment, um, you know, looking out at the world and, and creating kind of righteousness in a sense. These are these are important states as as kind of negative as we might see them, you know, as, a, as adults, I hope we see them negatively that that these are they're not beneficial again in a long term sense, right? If we live our life continually consumed by blaming and complaining, it's not going to do us any good. But in childhood and early adolescence, you know, it, it does give us a sense of power that, you know, it, it gives us a sense that we know what's going on or we know how things should be happening and it allows us to feel secure in our life. Okay. Now, to go back to these primary tools that I'm introducing in terms of how I would propose you you want to engage with your experience, engage with, with you, yourself really and everybody in your world we have to move away from these archaic structures, you know, the, the ones that were supposed to be um, released through our early initiation in adolescence. I do believe that this is how humanity is designed. We're supposed to drop these at a certain point, right? And we're supposed to walk away from blame and judgment and righteousness and complaining and all of the other, you know, I'm sure you can think of a, a multitude of ways that our minds engage with reality that give us this like, it's, it's really almost drug-like, right? It's like this hit of like, oh, you know, when we blame something, we feel better, right? Brene Brown does a beautiful job of explaining blame as like uh, the way that we discharge pain. And it, it does. It feels good. It's like we're hurting. Who can we blame? That person's an idiot. Okay, now I feel better. And it short-term gives us this hit. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a dopamine aspect related to it. You know, people talk about a process of, of what's called incentive salience, you know, that we know that when we when we blame someone, we're going to, it's going to feel good, you know, and we kind of want to do that, right? And it creates a, a loop of, of behavior and a repetitive way of engaging with the world that does feel good in the short term, right? But long term is not good. 
And so what is supposed to happen is, is us moving out of that, what I would call a sort of false power state, where we are trying to gain uh, a sense of security by blaming others, by complaining, blah, 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 on and on, and moving into the higher cognitive neocortex originated and, and um, managed processes of our higher ab adult abilities, right? Because we should... I think, and, and I don't use shoulds a lot, but we should look at the fact that those ways of responding to life and ways of engaging with ourselves are incredibly harmful, not to ourselves, not just to ourselves, but uh, to the entire world. And there's, you know, I, I think I've, I've mentioned this on an old episode with Allison, and a really, really interesting part of our brain. It's it's called the reticular activating system. And it's, it's really made up of several brain structures, right? But uh, it's, I think, easiest to understand the functionality of this, this set of structures as the, the lens for your brain, in a sense, the lens that filters out um, the information that your brain is going to allow to come in to your world. And, and it, it, it's a, a lens that really filters reality, basically, and, and shows your brain, allows into your eyes and your ears and your nose, even, I'm sure, is, is all connected, um, the information that your brain wants to see. And, you know, this is, I think, it's so important and so fantastic and kind of crazy um, when you think about this fact that, like, our brains are filtering out, you know, who knows, but like 99% of the information that's the stimulus that's coming into our world all the time and um, only allowing in a very select type of data or, or sensory experience that, again, this filter decides it wants to let in. Okay, so the question has to be, well, how does the filter decide what it wants to let in, right? What What is it, how does it decide what it's going to let out, right, or, or keep out? And the way it does this is whatever you repetitively think about, your brain says, well, she wants to see this, you know, she thinks this is interesting, she seems to think about it a lot, so let's tune the eyes and the ears and everything uh, sensory in our being to perceive that thing because she keeps thinking about it all the time, right? It is quite amoral and, and you know, really doesn't care. It's, it's not like the reticular activating system has some, um, uh, I don't know, experiential priority in terms of like it wants you to have a certain experience. It's just a tool. It's just a a mechanism within our, our um, brain that says, okay, uh, sure, whatever. She wants to see, I don't know, grumpy people. If you think about grumpy people all the time or how miserable and awful people are, your brain's like, eh, she, she likes that. So let's find that for her. And it will actually filter out all the stuff that doesn't fit with that priority and will let in all the things that are uh, aligned with what you're thinking about repetitively. I mean, this is I think one very non-mystical way that we can conceptualize of the idea that we are creating our own reality. I mean, you know, two people going through the exact same situation and experience are not having the same experience due to the fact that their brain is filtering reality um, through these this lens. Okay. So to go back to, and I hope that makes sense, right, that, that you are in control. You have so much power in terms of your experience. 
And and this is so critical to recognize, I think, especially in the era that we live in right now, which seems to um, suggest to people that, it, you know, they, they don't actually have a lot of power and everybody else has all this power and, and we should focus on taking their power instead of claiming this power. It's a trap. Don't listen to them, please. Anyway, so... If your brain, to go back to these the limbic system structures and ways of engaging with life, okay? So again, out of this is highly emotional, you know, highly, there's, there's, our emotions are, are controlling us really in a sense in our limbic system, okay? There's, there's not a lot of uh, regulatory kind of uh, processes going on in terms of our emotional um emotional experience so when we're hurting right and then oh i've got some blame to go and and throw at someone and then i can feel better right it's it's almost it's a very unconscious and very um kind of habit energy experience and process that rolls out there is that we're not thinking about it it's just like stimulus boom reaction we're just doing this thing okay uh, but when we do this okay so maybe let's focus on complaining as an idea Right. Complaining, again, just like blame, kind of makes us feel better because we feel above the situation we're in temporarily, right? We can say, I know better than this situation. I am more informed, more whatever, and this situation is below me or these people are below me or whatever. And it gives us a little, little bit of righteousness, a little hit of dopamine, I'm sure. And we feel better because we've asserted that, you know, we have uh, a, a greater insight into how things should be going. But if our brain is repetitively complaining, okay, we look at the world and we find problems constantly, or we look at people and we, we find things that we don't like about them, all we will see is problems. This is the way our brain works. This is the way the reticular activating will filter your experience, is that it will not allow you to see beautiful things in the world, or, or you know, it will limit this. Because it thinks you don't want to. It thinks that this is not important to you. And, and I'm laughing because we all do this, right? And I'm going to share a personal story here in a minute. But it, it thinks that you don't want to see that, right? And like, it actually makes me feel really sad to think about where we are as human beings right now, where I think that our, our consumer capitalist society, you know, I don't think capitalism is inherently wrong, but I, I do think that this idea that, we, we need to have more and be more and buy more and, and, you know, accomplish more in order to be happy with ourselves is a cancer. It's, it's, it's eating us, right? And it, it's so tragic that, that it trains us to think that we never have enough, that things aren't good and that we should complain and then we're going to feel better, right? And it keeps us in this very patho-adolescent state of utilizing our minds that is just perpetually damaging to us, right? Because the more we complain, the more we see things to complain about. And it never stops because there's always going to be shit to complain about. Life sucks. There's stuff that always goes sideways, you know, and it's also beautiful and amazing, right? Um, but the more we use this, this midbrain functionality to, to create our reality, the more miserable we are, okay? And again, it does feel good. It feels so good to complain because, again, we feel better, right? And it's old. It's it's ingrained in our evolutionary biology and our neuropsychology that blaming is something that is, is of benefit to us, right? But just like we have to transcend, you know, our evolutionary history that it, 
in, in much of our history as a species, we were hyper violent and, and aggressive and stuff like we don't get to do that shit anymore because we need to move into a, a more evolved society, right? This is, I think, the, the big thing that we haven't paid attention to as a collective is that these lower neuropsychological, you know, processes are not serving us anymore. They are harming us immensely and causing us to harm each other. And we have to outgrow them. And they don't just dissipate, right? If I say to you right now, stop blaming, stop complaining, your brain's like, what else am I going to do? You know, like, uh, I've been doing this for most of my life. Like, what do you want me to do if I'm not blaming or complaining, right? And this is where the tools come in. This is where conscious programming, conscious practice of utilizing your mind in particular ways, as I mentioned in the last episode, practicing compassion, practicing blessing, right? That you are creating not only a totally new, I mean, it's, it's certainly there, but like really, really increasing the strength and capacity of these neurological structures, you know, the, the neurological grooves and pathways in your brain that allow you to think in this way. But it's also training your brain to filter reality in a particular way that is going to improve your experience and improve the way that you engage with the world around you, okay? Because, again, if you think about how awful the world is all the time, your brain will show you all the things that are awful. And then you will feel vindicated and justified in maintaining that perspective and you will continue to suffer. And again, I know... The world has so much shit going on, but like, can we take a pause as a collective and actually ask ourselves, like, how, how's it been going and how is it going to constantly complain about ourselves, each other, our circumstances, our civilization, our history, blah, 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 blah. Like, yes, I, and you know, I'm sure I'm going to be called all sorts of names for saying this, but like, we have to take responsibility as, as individuals and as a collective to say, this is not working well. This is not going down a good path, right? We are getting more depressed, more anxious, more miserable, more angry, more righteous, more violent towards each other. And 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 you think on the other side of this, it's just going to, to stop? Like we're going to get to a point where we've found all the problems in society and then we'll stop doing it? This is the irony of this kind of mindset is the more you are training yourself to find problems in the world, the more problems you will find because it doesn't, that your brain doesn't know anything else, right? And it is impartial. It doesn't care whether it is finding for you all the problems in the world or all the awesomeness and the, the beauty and the awe and the wonder at your experience, okay? So, oh, sorry, I'm just really, I had so much tea this morning. <laughs> Um, I wanted to share a personal story about my, I think, experience of, of shifting, one of the many incidences of shifting out of my old structures and, and ideas of the world and myself, and then really watching this, this new reality emerge as I was consciously practicing these ways of being. So I think I've shared in the podcast that I used to be a makeup artist and I worked for MAC Cosmetics and I loved it and I loved being a makeup artist. But one of the things that really got amplified in working in that field was an already um, present but kind of latent tendency in my own mind to criticize um, 
criticize myself physically, criticize other people physically, um, be very uh, judgmental as to people's physical appearance. Okay. Um, once I started working within makeup, it was almost, you know, encouraged and, and condoned to, to constantly be looking at your face and finding problems with it. Right. Or, or finding new makeup that you should wear. And, and at first I found this exciting and then really started to recognize, I mean, it, it led to me like injecting my lips full of shit and doing strange things, you know, and, and imagining like, oh, if I just had a different nose or a different cheekbone or, you know, like it was, it was, there was always something that I wanted to fix. But I, I, I didn't realize how much it had sort of bled into the, the totality of my experience where I was doing this to other people all the time. I didn't even notice it, but like, you know, every, every time I, I went somewhere, see random people, I would I would make them over in my mind. I, I, I like acknowledging and admitting this sounds totally insane, but I would imagine like what they would look like with a different hairdo and a different hat and a different makeup, uh, uh, you know, design and and a different outfit and and like I would change them in my mind. I was constantly doing this. Like it it really is crazy to now realize how much of my life I spent doing that because I was doing it to myself all the time, right? And so it started to become just the reality that I I lived in. I was like, well, but people should, you know, and I felt quite justified. I was like, well, I should criticize myself because I have a weird bumpy nose and it's wrong, you know, and, and your brain just gets this sense of like, well, yeah, this is how reality should be, right? And you're in an environment and a circumstance that reflects this back to you. It just seemed like the only reasonable thing. And so, you know, fast forward many, many years and and I, I started moving away from this gradually through practicing different things and, and relating to myself differently, you know, and but I didn't really realize how much my filter was changing until I was actually at the Calgary Folk Fest years ago and I was walking with my partner and I had this awareness that as I saw people and, uh, you know, random strangers at this festival, there's thousands of people, every person that walked by me, I was finding something beautiful about them. I was, you know, noticing something amazing about their clothes or their hair or, you know, whatever. And it, it wasn't in, in terms of like, oh, they fit the sort of stereotypical image of, of what a, a beautiful person should look like. Like it was just this, this automatic relational experience where like my brain just wanted to find something good in them. And it was, it was so amazing to me to actually stop and and realize I was like oh my god I I can let people be but not only that but like my I've trained my brain to find things that are amazing you know and and so the world is amazing because there is something beautiful in every single person and and many many things that are beautiful and and then I realized that I I was doing it to myself you know like I was I was no longer um, like I have spots, moles and freckles all over my body. And for a long time, I would never wear short sleeves or a bathing suit because I was so embarrassed. And I just thought everybody looked at me and thought I was disgusting because I was doing that to myself. And then I, you know, I, I started being able to look at them and be like, yeah, that's, that's me, you know, like that's part of me and, and I don't have to judge it and it can be beautiful too. And it just, it was so amazing 
to have that shift, right? And it it didn't happen because I continued down the path of being furious at society for its deranged and distorted beauty ideals or, you know, being, I don't know, uh, getting to the point where, like, I'd perfected myself and the world so much that, you know, I could finally say, yes, everyone is perfect because that's impossible. It was because I had trained my mind to start looking for beauty and practicing seeking beauty in the world. And then, lo and behold, beauty is there. creates the reality that you live in. And yes, there is a third dimensional reality. And yes, we do need to attend to it. But you undercutting your power and your capacity to show up consciously and create agency, really authentic agency in your world by engaging with these lower neurobiological processes constantly, like complaining and blaming and judging and righteousness and all the rest, right? I want you to just look at the consequences of it. As I mentioned in the previous episode, you are fully, every individual, we are all allowed to think and feel and operate the way that we want to do. But we, when, we, when we are engaging with spiritual maturity and the concept of really coming into authenticity as individuals, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the consequence of the way that I am thinking about the world? And if we stay in these lower structures, the consequence is not good. I promise you. And it's kind of scary and intimidating to shift out of it, right? And it's hard because it is an addictive loop in a sense, you know, in our brains that we get a we get a nice kick from it, right? When we're right and someone else is an idiot. But we have to we have to get out of it. Okay. And this is what these practices are about. So <laughs> long-winded explanation of asking ourselves to practice gratitude. This is our tool of, of today's session, okay? And you are going to receive, um, you'll see an audio track, just like with the other episodes, taking you through a very um, active gratitude practice. Gratitude is, is everything. I probably said that about compassion because I am a dramatic person, but um, gratitude changes everything. Gratitude changes your entire existence. And, and because it trains your brain to filter life through the lens of what is beautiful, right? And but also it just it it opens us up in a way that is indescribable, I think, until you've actually practiced it and, and gotten into it. Okay. Um gratitude, I think, you know, people look at it kind of, I would say simplistically, without any judgment. Um, and we can very easily use the practice of gratitude in what some people call a, a very unwholesome kind of way, right? A very selective way. Um, there are really very generally two types of gratitude that we can practice, one that is unwholesome um, or incomplete, and one that is wholesome and and total in, in its sort of operation, okay? And incomplete gratitude is really gratitude that comes from the ego mind, 
Um, the ego mind, uh, as I've mentioned before, can co-opt our very divine and sacred spiritual practices like gratitude practice and turn them into mechanisms for really solidifying and fortifying the ego self and instead of transcending it, right? And the way the ego does this is, you know, it takes an idea like gratitude and it it uses it in the, the way that the the ego mind can only use everything, right, which is very selectively and to gain control. That's what the ego mind wants is to be able to say it it knows what's good and what's bad and it knows who's good and what's who's bad and, and it has this very compartmentalizing sort of relationship with existence. So when the ego mind is using gratitude in this very unwholesome way, it will be very selective and, uh, what's the right word for this, almost almost othering in a sense in the in the and the way it'll sound i suppose you know to give an example is you'll say something like i'm so glad that i don't feel shitty like yesterday or i'm so glad i'm not a starving person somewhere in the world or i'm so glad i don't live where bombs are being dropped right now while these statements may be true they don't actually challenge our mind to, um, well, to, to wholesome gratitude, but to an, an encompassing experience of our existence and of life where we are, you know, practicing equanimity, practicing engaging with um, life from a receptive feminine stance, as opposed to from that egoic, very, very masculine stance of saying, well, I know how life should be and it shouldn't be like this. And this, again, is the good and this is the bad. And, and so I'm just so glad that I don't have the bad, right? When we practice gratitude um, in a wholesome sense, we can actually, we, we are, you know, to take the literal meaning of the word wholesome, like you're, you're being grateful for the whole, right? And this is why it's it's a practice is because we actually have this is difficult to do because our minds are selective you know we don't really like painful things and we want to get rid of them right so being grateful for them is exceptionally difficult but this is i think why we need to do it is because over time and as we continue to practice we will be able to tolerate greater and greater discomfort um, through our, you know, mature capacities in recognizing that life is discomfort, life is pain. It's going to always include painful experiences, and so it is not of our benefit to try to constantly be, again, going towards pleasure and trying to get away from pain. Right? That is what we do in our pathoadolescent state. So, wholesome gratitude can sound like, um, well, imagine that you have a headache, okay? Having headaches, pain, yes, it's annoying. It's not really that big of a deal a lot of the time, except if it's a migraine and it's really freaking horrible. But if you have a headache, you know, right now, or there's a pain in your body right now, your mind can actually practice acknowledging that pain, seeing it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like celebrate the fact that you have that pain in your body, but you can acknowledge it, right? And Wholesome gratitude, if you you bring your mind to this practice, can say, I am grateful for my body in this moment. 
in that it includes that pain, right? It is not excluding the pain and saying, well, I'm grateful for this arm, which has no pain, but that other shoulder, it can just get out of here because it's a piece of shit. We don't do that. Like, we we don't get to decide how, you know, what should be here and what shouldn't be here. I know that sounds kind of tricky, and maybe I'll explain it later on a, a different episode, but I don't think that this is the appropriate stance of the human uh, um, awareness is to be saying good, bad, right, wrong. We don't, we're not that smart, you know? I, I really don't think we are. And and I think if something is here, it is meant to be here and we must learn from it and understand it and meet it with that feminine equanimity rather than saying this thing shouldn't be here, okay? And so wholesome gratitude is that practice. It is the ability and the, the increasing capacity, the more we practice this, the better we get at this, to say thank you for what is, right? I can offer from personal experience that I know, you know, nobody wants to get Lyme disease. Nobody wants to be super sick and have their face go numb and and droopy and not be able to walk and have like crazy inflammation through their body. This happened to me. I, it was a shitty, horrible experience. I wouldn't wish it on anyone except if it did what it did for me in terms of like waking me up to my own behaviors and how I was showing up in the world. Um, I mean, who's to say whether it's good or bad, right? I can... I am absolutely massively grateful to Lyme disease for what it taught me, right? That's my experience. I'm certainly not saying everybody has to be grateful. We have to work our way up to it, right? Gratitude is a practice. It's like exercising a mental muscle. And it is a mental muscle that is not available to our our mammalian brain to our patholescent state. It is something that we have to consciously practice in order to get into that neocortex, higher adult state and, and way of being in the world. Because it's, I, I mean, I think that when we are truly sp spiritually aligned and, and present adults, we as I mentioned, I think in the first episode, in terms of kind of the rules and the structures to apply to this process, we recognize how short of a time we have here. And that, yes, this world is complex and painful. And, you know, lots, again, lots of horrible things happen, but that it doesn't benefit us in any sense to be focusing on those things all the time. And it certainly does not benefit other people um, for us to be telling them to focus on those things either, right? Um, the, you know, the Robin Wall Kimmerer does such a beautiful job of of outlining the role of gratitude within the indigenous mindset, you know, with within the Anishinaabe people on the the East Coast, and, and certainly I've heard this from my indigenous teachers and, and people that I work with, you know, and I mean, my European ancestry, you know, there's such an emphasis within all traditional religions for gratitude. And we we have seemingly walked away from, you know, the, the beauties that religion offered us and the structures and ways of being in the world and, and have come into this highly entitled and highly childish, and again, no judgment, but um, state of engaging with the world, right? Which is like, oh, I don't have what I want, so I'm going to complain about it and then demand that the world is different for me. And this is, it's not its not going to create good things and it certainly does not create a good individual experience. And I, again, just want you to look at this in terms of like the impacts on your life, okay? So yeah, gratitude, 
it's a practice. It's something you're going to have to continually come back to. I mean, my family, every time we sit down to have a meal, we do gratitude. And I thank my sister for, my older sister for really encouraging this. Her family does this too. I mean, I, I think about gratitude all the time. It didn't used to be, you know, a, an experience for me at all. I actually remember the first time my teacher ever really emphasized this to me. I was living in San Francisco and I was, uh, living at the top of Twin Peaks, like right near the the highest part of San Francisco. And I would ride my bike down to uh, Van Ness Street, which is where my school was. And you'd ride down this um, sort of laid out pathway that would kind of twist and turn all the way down the hills, kind of up and down the hills of San Francisco. But it was laid out in a way that it would minimize the amount of up and down that you had because San Francisco is so hilly. And it was called the Wiggle. And it was super fun because you'd always be riding with a lot of other bikers, you know, and it was this really cool kind of synchronized human experience. But I had rode my bike down from my house and I was going to class and the whole way down you know, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I'd just been thinking about, because my brain was still stuck in these old processes and, and, and ways of engaging, I was thinking about problems. I was thinking about what I didn't have and how, you know, I was unhappy and I hated myself or, you know, whatever. I can't even remember, but it was just some, some expression of that, I'm sure. And I got down to my school. And I was standing there. I remember, like, it was such a, a this, such a visceral memory for me because my teacher was actually outside of my school. And she looked at me and she just, she was like, you have to practice gratitude. And it was like, boom, like all of a sudden this realization that never in, in my mind, all, all I was thinking about was problems, problems in the world a lot at that point, you know, environmental destruction, climate change, everything else. I am not saying we ignore these things. Please hear that we have to attend to the issues and challenges in the world, but but how we attend to them it matters greatly, okay? If we just see them as problems we have to be fixing, we're just going to keep going down the path we're going collectively right now, um, and it's not going to end well. But if instead we we look at, you know, these these tools that I'm offering as the kind of ground and the basis for our existence, that we live in in a receptive, compassionate, grateful, you know, blessing, incredibly generous state of mind with existence, we're still going to be able to deal with the problems, I promise you. But we won't treat them like problems. We will find solutions. And we're not doing that. We're just doing problem, problem, and then fix, and the fix never works, and then another problem, and on and on and on, okay? So yes, we have to do things about this, but how we do it is everything. How we use our mind with reality is everything. And it from that day, my teacher said, you know, I want you to start a gratitude journal and just fill one page with things you are grateful for. And it was hard. Like I, I realized that my mind didn't like doing it, right? It liked finding problems, blaming people, complaining, all those other processes of the, the kind of lower uh, cortical, lower, lower uh, neurological structures. And so for like days, I remember just writing like butterflies, 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 like over and over and over again, because I mean, I, I love butterflies, but it was just easy. And then it started to started to widen, you know, my capacity to look at that beauty increased, you know, until like it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and I, as I mentioned before, sort of eventually was made manifest in my ability to see beauty in every single person. And, and I want this 
for all of us because it's a beautiful state to exist in and it is entirely possible if you are willing to actually practice your way into this experience with life. So so that's what I got. I know it's it's very simple, you know, uh, gratitude. It's like, go do it. But please pay attention to if you are using gratitude in that exclusionary kind of unwholesome manner where you're trying to to get rid of the shit that you don't like and then put the nice stuff in a pile and then express gratitude for that. That is not going to benefit you at all. You want to practice wholesome gratitude for small things that are accessible and then build on that and continuously strengthen that muscle until the entirety of existence will become something, you know, even though it contains so much pain and and incredibly challenging experiences, it will be something that your heart can encompass and it will enfold all of all of all everything into that space of loving kindness. Okay. So I hope you enjoy the practice and um, I hope you're doing that hope. I intend and send out the, the blessings of equanimity and, and being able to meet this incredibly challenging initiatory process that we are moving through, um, this process of being woken up. We have been asleep at the wheel as a species and um, governed by our compulsive and, and unconscious lower urges. And we have only to bring awareness to this and practice, I think, these, these simple tools and the whole picture of humanity is going to change. And I think we all know this, right? And we have to extract ourselves from blaming, complaining, judgment, righteousness, and move over into these other states. And I am I am cautiously optimistic. <laughs> So, all right. Take care. See you soon. The Knowing is an Intelligy production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequoia people. Music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is. (laughs) 